proceed with that kind of request. You know, and I, I will say this, before we even get to the parable, before we just analyze it, there's a lesson even in that. I was thinking this week about all of my Christian life, all of the many like self-interested prayers that I have offered up to the Lord. I mean, I've done this so many times. We're all guilty of this, aren't we? Oh, Lord, give me what I want. I want this. I want this. I was thinking about uh, someone, that's not too many years ago. She was not a member of one of the churches that I served, but she asked me to pray for her, and she told me that she wanted me to pray that she would make a killing on some property that she had just uh, put up for sale. I was like... I didn't know how to respond uh, to this. I will say this, you know, we can offer up these kinds of self-interested prayers. You know, the Lord hears everything we say to him. But I was thinking, you know, these are the kinds of requests that I think land in God's junk folder. You know what I mean? It's like God has a spam box and uh, we spam the Lord with our self-interested prayers. And, And see, the thing is, is that what we need to be doing is thinking more like, instead of hey, God, this is what I want, uh, help me get what I want, what we should do is say, you know, Lord, what do you want from me? You know, we always come to the Lord with our prayer requests, and, and the Lord loves to hear our prayer requests, but you know, you ever thought that, that God actually might have a prayer request for you? And like for you to go to the Lord and say, you know, Lord, what's your prayer request for me? See, that's what maturity looks like. We don't want to spam the Lord all the time with things that we're just interested in. We want to care about what God's interested in. But nevertheless, this person is clearly motivated, motivated by greed. He wants his stash. And then Jesus, of course, spins this great parable. How does it go? Well, Jesus says there was a land of a rich man that produced abundantly. And then the rich man thought to himself, what am I going to do with all of this profit, with all of this surplus? And then he thought, and he says, I know what I'll do. I will pull down my barns, and I will build bigger barns, and there I'm going to store up all of my goods, and then then I'm going to say to myself, I'm going to say, self, eat, drink, and be merry. You have achieved financial independence. You can now retire early. Financial independence, retire early, fire. You can fire now. You have made it, self. And you know what? Really, in all, all culture, you know what we would say about someone who had this kind of experience? We would say, put this man on the cover of Money Magazine. I'll tell you what, make him, a, make him the star of an infomercial where he could tell us with a little effort, you know, we can imitate his success, we can do this. We would say, you, you entrepreneur, you, you hero, you paragon of upward mobility, you citizen of the American dream, you model of opportunity, you. And yet, God, God interrupts this man's self-congratulation. God would interrupt all of our plaudits to someone like this, wow, you've made it. You are, you are exactly what we want to be. And God says, you fool. That's a harsh, non-church word. You fool. Wow. All right, let's talk a little bit about this. Um, I've got a couple of observations about this parable, and you can look at this uh, with me. I want you to notice something. This is the first thing. 
I want you to notice that this man is the recipient of a huge windfall. I mean, this is, this is the ancient equivalent of a successful, what do they call it, IPO. You go public, you got some stocks that go way up. He received this huge end-of-the-year bonus. And I want you to notice, what is the very first thing he does? Well, he says to himself, what? What am I going to do? And this is, reminds me of what I have shared with you before. You've heard this, if you've heard me preach for a little bit now. I did this a couple of weeks ago. But here it's right, actually in the Bible. It's in the text. Remember what I said? I said, wealth above a certain level, what you're able to cover your basic expenses, wealth does not create happiness, but it always creates what? Do you remember what I said? You don't remember? Okay. It always creates choices. By the way, when I ask rhetorical questions, this is a habit of mine. I actually, you can respond. Um, some people are just like, no. no. But wealth always creates choices. Whenever there's some margin in your life, when you're in college, you don't have any. But as you get older, when there's some margin in your life, you are going to be faced with decisions about what, what am I going to do with this? See, money in the scriptures, Jesus talks about this all the time. Money's a good. It's a, it's a good in creation, but, man, it's a power. And, and what money often does is that it can awaken within us our own self-interest. If you're not careful, it will awaken self-interest in you. That's why we become defensive when the topic of money comes up, <laughs> including in church sometimes. All right, you know, it does this. It awakens this self-interest. Now, notice, notice the self-interest. All over this man's response. I mean, what does he say? I'm going to pull down which barns? My barns. Then I'm going to store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, me, 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 me. He made a choice of self-interest with his wealth. I'm just going to spend it on myself. I will use it for myself. And then God speaks up and says, you fool. But there's self-interest everywhere. All right, so notice something else, everybody. This is cool. Notice how this man's wealth, this windfall, this bonus, notice it generated with him not just a choice. It also generated within him dissatisfaction with the things that he already possessed. In other words, I mean, I can imagine, up until this wonderful harvest, I can imagine that this rich man was pretty content with the barns he already had. But then all of a sudden, there's some margin in his life. He's got some cash flow in his life, and suddenly the barns that he had, nope, not good enough, I need bigger ones. And notice the extent to which he went. Did he add on to his existing barns? Did he add on another bedroom? No. What did he do with his barns? He tore them down. He tore the whole thing down and then built bigger ones. I mean, that's extreme. But that's what happens when you get some cash flow in your life and you're not really conscious about this. All of a sudden, what you have is not good enough. This man says, nope, uh-uh. Nope, my, my current barns are not good enough. I need to build bigger ones. All of a sudden, I, he needed more square footage in his life. 
with shiplap on the wall. I need, I need cathedral ceilings in these barns. He says, no, I, I, can't, I can't live with Formica. I can't cut my okra on Formica. I need some granite in here. I need some stainless steel now. I've got some margin in my life. You know what he actually succumbed to? He succumbed to what we call uh, lifestyle inflation. You've heard of this? So he first responds with ego inflation. And now it's gone into lifestyle inflation. I think, I think it's called lifestyle creep, too. It's like, in other words, like all of a sudden his desires for non-necessities and luxuries went up as his income went up. It's like his discretionary spending or his lifestyle choices went up in direct proportion to the rise in his income. Lifestyle inflation. Isn't this a real trap? I mean, I know what this is like. I know you know what this is like as well. We, 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 our tastes, our preference, our choices, our, our lifestyle tends to go up in proportion to the rise in our income. It's exactly what's going on here. This reminds me of something John Wesley. I haven't quoted John Wesley in a while. John Wesley, if you don't know, he was the founder of the Methodist Church. One of the great saints, if you've ever read anything about Wesley, man, this guy was a radical. I want to be like him. But I can remember uh, very early on, some of you may know this, very early on in his life, uh, John Wesley actually calculated the income that he would need to cover the, the basic necessities, eh, food, clothing, shelter, medicine. And uh, now he didn't have any family or, or children, and uh, so he would understand him. some of these things go up, you know, for your family and health insurance, all that. But what he did is that he, he calculated what I need to cover the basics, and then he made this commitment to himself. And before God, he says, you know, if, if, if I've got more margin in my life, I'm going to do whatever I can to keep my lifestyle the same. And then whatever the surplus flows into my life, I will try to use this for the work of God. And his income over the years went way up. I mean, he did really well. He sold all kinds of books. He had royalties. And yet he, he was able to stay at this same level, and he was able to use his surplus for the work of God, and, and what he went around preaching. He would go to the Methodist churches, and he would, he would kind of preach to everybody. He would say, look, you know, as a follower of Jesus, please do whatever you can. Don't increase your lifestyle. Don't increase your standard of living if your income goes up. Do whatever you can to increase your standard of giving. And he would go around and he would say, look, assess your life. We've got to care about this. Think about this parable. He would say things like, look, if, you're, if your income's gone way up and you're spending all this money on yourself, on luxuries, and yet your, your generosity level's still way down, he would say, you know, that, that's, a, that's an issue. That, that something's going on in your soul. Be careful, as Jesus said. Don't let the money interest just overtake your so, of course, he got thrown out of some churches when he preached this. He really did. Um, so anyway, the man's wealth here, it generated choices, and he chose himself, and God said, that's foolish. That's foolish. All right, here's another thing. 
that this man's wealth generated, other than self-interest, it generated amnesia. (laughs) He just, total amnesia. In other words, this man utterly forgot. He became utterly forgetful of all the blessings that had flowed into his life from sources other than his own hard work. I mean, think about this. He had a huge crop of grain. Now, I am not a farmer. I've never done this before, but I can pretty much guess what do you need to have happen to have this kind of successful harvest? What do you need? What do you need to have a successful crop? Even if you're a gardener, what do you got to have? Well, this is not hard. You got to have, what? somebody said something. What do you got to have? Rain. What else you got to have? Sun. What else you got to have? Right temperature. See, you guys are getting it, and you're participating with me. I'm so glad. Can you control those things? You cannot. You cannot. So this man depended on these fortunes, these gifts, that he had no control over, and he responded as if he did it all himself. Yeah, I'm self-made. I'm a self-made millionaire. Self-made millionaire next door. We love that language, don't we? Self-made. Yeah. No such thing. Think about your life. I mean, really, let's just be honest. Someone else birthed you into existence. You didn't will yourself into being, here I am. (laughs) Someone else taught you the skills that you have. You had teachers, first grade, kindergarten, they taught you this thing. Someone else may have given you a loan. Your parents may have funded some of your college. Uh, someone else put their name on your resume that ha- actually helped you land a job. You depended on that person. Think about this. Your income, I think I'm right here, I'm not an economist, but your income comes from someone else's spending, and your spending is someone else's income. Of course, my income depends on you. But it's somebody else. I'm not willing it. Yeah? Think about the food you ate this morning. If you, if you had breakfast, you know, that you didn't grow the food you ate. And if you ate eggs, you didn't make the chicken. The chicken gave you the egg. You didn't make the clothes you're wearing today. Somebody else did that. You did not design the car that brought you to worship today. You see what's going on? It's like if you really assess your life, you and I are so dependent on this intricate network of generosity like, what if the sun said, I'm not giving you my light anymore? Hmm. You know, we, we depend on, the, like, the generosity of creation, and yet there are days when we act as if we're like somebody sitting in coach, and then we're taking credit for landing the plane. <laughs> Look at what I did. You know, absurd. See, the man in the story, he forgot all the blessings that were flowing into his life. And I want you to notice something else. This is interesting. It's in verse 16. I don't know if you have the notation, but it's right there in the middle. Then he told them a parable. What does it say? Jesus says, the what of a rich man? The land of a rich man produced abundantly. You see what Jesus is doing? It was the land that was the giver. It was the land that was the one, was the benefactor, and yet the rich man's like, I'm self-made. Look at what I've accomplished. And God says, you're a fool. That's foolish. That's not what wise people do. Okay. 
couple more thoughts. Um, you fool, that's a tough word. But we, um, we actually saw, we recited the biblical definition of a fool. If you've got your liturgy, look at the Psalm 14. Who are the fools according to the Bible? The fools are those who say what? There is no God. Fools in the Bible say there is no God. I think we have the diagnosis here. I think we could say the rich man may have believed in God, but he responded to all the gifts and goodness in his life as if there were no God. He was what we call a practical atheist. Oh, yeah, I, lo- oh, yeah, I love the Lord. I'll, go to, I'll, I'll worship the Lord. But then he, he lived as if there was no God at all. I mean, he, was, he lived as though everything belonged to him, as though everything came from him, as though all of his goods were his to dispose, my grain, my stuff, my soul. And yet it never occurred to him that maybe God would have a say and what God would want him to do with some of this great surplus. And if he would have said to himself, Hey, Lord, what do you want me to do? I suspect the Lord would have answered him. And I suspect the Lord would have said, Why don't you share some of that surplus with some of the people who need it? Like, why don't you bless some people with your surplus? And the Lord would not have said, Live like a hermit for them. No, he would have said, Why don't you share some of your surplus? Why don't you feed some people who are hungry with some of that grain, which is going to rot in a few years anyway, if it's in a storehouse, it'll mold and, and feed some people. But instead, the man, he responded as if there is no God. I, I'm not going to be held accountable for my things. And, and he fed his own ego. That's what he did. He just fed his ego. And God said, that's, that's what fools do. That's what fools do. You know, we often say, you know, you can't take it with you. We've all heard that, you know, your stuff, you can't take it with you. It's true, but let me tell you something. There are some things that you and I are going to take with us. We are all going to take with us the measure of our compassion for others. We are all going to take with us the measure of our love for others, and we are all going to take with us the measure of our generosity to other people. That's what it means to be rich toward God. We're going to take those things with us. And see, the wise, the wise know this. I'm almost done. So God says to this man, you fool, all those things that you stored up for yourself, now you're dying. It's your last day. Now, to whom will these things belong now? Now, you know the answer to this, don't you? What's the answer? The answer is all those things that he kept for himself are now going to flow out, and they're going to go into the hands of the very people that he could have blessed in life. Okay? So let me end this sermon by saying the good news and the bad news of this parable, right? Let's start with the good news. Here's the good news, everybody, and it is really good news. I love it. Here's the good news, is that all of us in this sanctuary right now, we are all, one day, going to be wildly generous. We are all going to share our surplus. It's going to be awesome. We are going to have an outflowing from our lives. We are destined for generosity. It is inevitable. There's a Salvation Army truck in your future. It's coming. 
all the things you've got stored up, it's going to flow out. We are really going to be radically generous. You and I are destined for this. We are destined to be generous. Isn't that good news? That is good news. But here's the bad news. Good news is we're all going to be radically generous. That's coming. The bad news, according to this parable, is this. You see it? Some people might actually have to die first. But there's going to be an outflow. It's coming. Don't store up your stuff. That's not what wise people do. Commit to share. The last, I promise this will be the last thing I'll I'll share with you. You know, it's Commitment Sunday. And during the offering, we're going to have a chance to to make a commitment. And um, I'm going to steal what a friend of mine preached on a couple weeks ago. I listened to the sermon, and he ended his sermon, and he says, Please, do not give to the church. And I was like... (laughs) But that's what he said. He says, Please, please do not give to this church. Don't give to the church. And then he, he explained what he meant. He was like, you know, we don't give as Christians. Don't give to a budget. You know, really, don't give to electricity bills and all these things. All that matters. But you know why we should give? We should give because this is what faithful discipleship looks like. We give because God wants us to give. So, don't pledge to the church. <laughs> Pledge to God. And I'll tell you this. According to Jesus, the life you save may very well be your own. Thanks be to God.